Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to be a sports broadcaster for ESPN Radio and Sirius XM? We'll talk about all that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 76 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. The Dallas Cowboys remain one of the most popular and talked about franchises in the National Football League, regardless if they haven't won a Super Bowl in more than two decades. The organization is also known for sometimes employing players that don't exactly feature the best of off-field resumes and often refrain from major acts of discipline for those occurrences. But when owner Jerry Jones finally put his foot down when a player recently stepped out of line, he ended up instead with his foot in his mouth. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. This is a story about my team. The Dallas Cowboys deem themselves as America's team and can argue that sentiment based on their resume, which includes eight Super Bowl appearances and five championships, both of which are second in NFL history. But the adage in America that one is innocent until proven guilty was promptly ignored when one Dallas Cowboys player recently found himself caught up in some legal trouble. Though Dallas is far too familiar with players getting into trouble both on and off the field, owner Jerry Jones has made it a habit of standing behind those on his team 
often to a fault. So when Jones finally decided to discipline a player for wrongdoing, it was met with positive responses. That is, until the player ended up not actually doing anything wrong. That player in question was Lucky Whitehead, a wide receiver and return specialist signed as an undrafted free agent by Dallas in 2015. He was mostly used as a return man in that season, before kicking off the next year with a bang by returning the opening kickoff 101 yards for a touchdown in the preseason opener against the Rams in what would be the first game played in L.A. in more than 20 years. However, Whitehead would struggle to really impact the team in the regular season and would be a huge question mark heading into 2017. Whitehead would make the news earlier this month, however, before training camp even kicked off, posting on Instagram that his dog, Blitz, was stolen and being held for the ransom of $10,000 by some rapper that no one had ever heard of. The following day, as luck would have it, Blitz was safely returned home. But that luck wouldn't last much longer for Whitehead. As on Monday, reports were released that Whitehead was facing misdemeanor petty larceny charges from an arrest in June after stealing more than $40 worth of food and drink from a Wawa in Virginia, and that he had also skipped his court appearance. After the Cowboys held their first training camp practice later that day, it was announced that Dallas had released the unlucky Whitehead. However, his luck would quickly change in fewer than 24 hours. Whitehead's agent quickly released a statement that Lucky was not in Virginia at the time of the crime, and that the arrest was a case of mistaken identity, even going as far with proof of a plane ticket that proved Whitehead was in Dallas at the time of the crime. That statement was soon proven correct, as it was discovered that it wasn't actually Lucky Whitehead who was arrested in Virginia. The culprit who was booked had given Lucky's real name of Rodney Darnell Whitehead Jr., along with his social security number and birthday, to the police. When the Cowboys brass gathered to address the media on Tuesday, reporters were obviously curious of the Whitehead situation and attempted to get answers for the quick trigger finger of the release. But just a day after saying the team had collected information and made the decision to release Whitehead for the betterment of the team, head coach Jason Garrett would offer no remorse or new information the following day, parlaying his original statements to simply say this for every question that was asked of the situation. Uh, yesterday we made a decision that we thought was in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys. And we're going to stand by that decision and we're going to move on. Garrett said something to that effect 10 different times for one of the most riveting press conferences in Cowboys history. However, Jerry Jones wasn't as monotonous with his thoughts, saying, quote, If you all, as in the media, have done one thing in my time to criticize me, it's how I will back up a player to a fault. You've done it for years. I will back him up to a fault. 
So when we do make a decision around here that's in the best interest of the team to move on, there's one thing you can forget about, and that is whether you're being fair or whether you've given it consideration of what it means to the individual. Jones closed by saying, that doesn't happen around here. Whitehead also addressed the situation to the Dallas Morning News, saying, quote, let's not sugarcoat anything. I was pretty much called a liar. As far as the whole situation went down, I was blindsided. I didn't know about a warrant that came about in the first place, clearly because I wasn't the person arrested. No one backed me up. No one had my back in the whole situation. I knew about it at what? 12.45? By 2.30, I'm released. He went on to say, let me clear my name. I didn't have time to do that. I was pretty much called a liar. Unfortunately, Whitehead will no longer be able to become a star for the team with a literal star as its logo. But hopefully, Lucky can become a star elsewhere in the National Football League. The New York J-E-T-E Jets! J-E-T-E Jets! J-E-T-E Jets! I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to sing some Britney Spears. When we come back, we'll talk to a sports broadcaster about media life and working up to ESPN Radio and Sirius XM. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know, who do you listen to on sports radio and why? This week afforded us yet another broadcaster in sports media to chat with in Jeff Rickard, who has more than 30 years in the business under his belt, though that doesn't necessarily make him old quite yet. Jeff was lucky enough to land a gig at a local sports radio and television station while still in college before working his way to stations in Denver and Utah to cover all the major sports teams in those areas before then moving to a national audience, where he now does much of his work on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM. He was certainly very kind with his time, actually almost having to cut our time short to jump on radio because of an emergency, but thankfully we were able to continue our chat, though that does go to show the chaotic nature that the sports world can have and something that we'll actually discuss in a little bit, along with his time covering Denver sports and those John Elway Super Bowl winning teams. Moving around to a station in Utah before landing at Sporting News Radio and ESPN Radio and Sirius XM, some of the different things that go into hosting a show and much more. 
You can follow Jeff on Twitter. He's at Rickard on Sports. That's R-I-C-K-A-R-D on Sports. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Jeff Rickard. He's a sports broadcaster for ESPN Radio and Sirius XM, has more than three decades of experience in sports media. Jeff, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you? I'm good. That makes me sound so old. I just want to remind people I started when I was a teenager, so that counts. Yeah, I was going to ask you that right at the end, if you feel old yet, just because people always bring up how much experience you have, and the more experience obviously means the more years, but I was going to start anyway by turning back the clocks just a little bit. Some sports broadcasters, whether in television or radio, were lucky enough to discover at a young age that broadcasting was something they wanted to pursue and they grew up. Did you have a similar experience from your childhood that set things in motion for you? Absolutely. I was either going to be a professional athlete or I was going to be a broadcaster. Uh, I was able to play sports through college, and then I've competed in things after college, but I, I never got to the point where I could just do that full-time. So I started broadcasting when I was uh, you know, in my late teens, I guess mid to late teens, and I've just been doing it ever since. You ended up going to college at Mesa State College, which is now Colorado Mesa University, and I'm sure that helped just being able to stay a little bit more local, maybe not have as much pressure if you were to move away from home, but you end up getting an opportunity at the young age of 21 to get really thrust into the sports media business, getting a job at a local station in Grand Junction to work with their morning show and then going on to also be named sports director for the television station how important was it for you at that point, really early in your career, to get that hands-on experience and get thrown in the fire at such a young age because you were really able to get a crash course in the business right away? Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun because I'd grown up in Denver, which is about uh, three and a half hours. Let's see, Grand Junction is about three and a half hours west of Denver. I had grown up just west of Denver between Denver and Boulder, and I had always been kind of pretending to broadcast in my basement since I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. I would record things. I'd do play-by-play off the television. I'd give tapes to my dad. He'd listen to them on the way to and from work on the uh, old cassette recorders, and then he'd give me some feedback. And, and I just kind of kept doing all of that. I started stringing for local radio stations, going to you know University of Colorado football games or Denver Broncos games when I was a teenager. I'd go to the games. I'd just get sound after the games and, and get the tapes back to the radio stations, and they would kind of go from there. And then I went to school up in Grand Junction at Mesa, as you said, and I was uh, I was playing sports there, but I also was working at the college radio station. Then I started working part-time at the uh, the big-time radio station. When I say big-time, it was the 50,000-watt stick that was there in Grand Junction. And then, yeah, by the time I was a junior, they offered me the morning show there. And then about a year later, I moved downstairs to be the sports director at the TV station. So all of that kind of was just step by step by step. But it sounds funny, but even though it seems young, I was kind of ready for each step along the way. I kind of prepared myself all along the way for each step. That ends up leading to KKFN Sports Radio in Denver, Colorado, where you host a radio show at pretty much every major time slot. We're also a beat reporter for the Broncos and studio host for the Nuggets Radio Network and the Avalanche Radio Network. Some play-by-play thrown in there as well for good measure, but I wanted to narrow this down a little bit as far as the focus goes. 
and pay a little bit more closer attention to my favorite football team, which was actually decided based on who ended up winning Super Bowl 32. So I do have to thank John Elway for my fandom of the Denver Broncos. And I know you've probably been asked this more than enough times, but I can't pass up an opportunity to throw out. What would you say are some or one of your favorite John Elway stories from your time getting to cover that team during that period? I think some of my favorite John Elway stories are are off the field, just kind of seeing him beat John Elway, so to speak. Uh, I can remember one time it was about his third or fourth year and I was covering training camp and I was with the TV station in Grand Junction and we were there and and, um, we had the opportunity to talk to him one day after practice and they were doing two days back then. This was the the second. So they were getting ready to to be done and then they were going to go eat dinner and they had a little weight room set up. Uh, They were in Greeley, Colorado. They had a little weight room set up kind of off the practice field and after practice, after two-a-days, John Elway, who's probably 25, 26 at the time, goes and he works out in the weight room for probably another 30 minutes. So we're patiently waiting there. We're patiently waiting. He finally comes out, comes by, and um, he does like two minutes of us. You know, real quick, we, we have a chair for him. He sits down. He does the interview. It's quick. He's got to get going. And then at the very end, we had brought hats with our logos on the hats from the TV station. And after the interview, I said, here, John, you want one of these hats? He looks at me, he goes, that's for me? That's free? I go, yeah, you can have it. And he goes, cool, thanks. And he put the hat on and he wore it for like three days in camp after that. So, I mean, he was still pretty down to earth at that point in time, as big a deal as he was. I just thought it was cool that he he was into the free hat. That was kind of cool. One of the other times I was at one of his golf tournaments. And it just so happened that I hadn't eaten all day long. So after the golf tournament was over, I went into the clubhouse and just started eating. And and um, most everybody else had kind of gone home. And all of a sudden, I look over, and these guys start getting together to sit at this table. And it's John Elway and Brett Favre and a guy who used to play quarterback named Rick Meyer, who people may or may not remember. He played at Notre Dame for the Seahawks for a while. And a couple of John's offensive linemen. And they were just sitting over there drinking beer and having shots and just being guys with each other. And it was just kind of fun to watch them do that as well. But, I mean, as far as the -the on-the-field stuff, you guys all know about how those exploits go. But I think the thing that I would go back to is the whole time I ever covered the Broncos and John Elway, he literally, you hear it as a cliche all the time, he literally was first guy in, last guy out, as far as I could observe pretty much the entire time I covered the Broncos. Is there any major difference reporting on, say, a local team as the radio or television guy compared to what sports journalists do? Or is it very similar to the amount of work that you guys have to put in on a day-in and day-out basis to do a great job with it? I I think it's similar in the fact that every day you start up, it's a brand new day, and you're trying to go out there and look for new content that's going to be interesting to people who are following those teams. Uh, you know, you want to try to find something today that people didn't know about yesterday or something that's interesting or something that you learn. So from that perspective, it's the same. I would say access is a little easier to teams on a local level because they're looking for the notoriety. They're looking to, to get news of what they're doing out, so to speak. They're new to it. So they, they kind of look forward to talking to you as far as on a national level. You really have to work long and hard to develop relationships because that's how you're going to get good information at that point in time. People are less giving 
if they trust you and you have to build up that trust over a, a period of time through interactions with people. And you don't have to be best friends or friends with them, but you just have to be fair and consistent and honest. And I think when they see that the things that you report are fair and they are consistent and they're accurate and you can back it up. And I think more importantly, they know you're coming back to see them the next day, good, bad, or otherwise, if they disagree with something you've said or written, you talk to them and they say, Hey man, what was that all about yesterday? And you say, Hey, look, I'm just telling you, I was told this verbatim. If you want to refute that, I'm more than happy to put your side of the story out there. But I'm just telling you, nobody's making this up. This is what's out there. I just think if you're fair and honest with people and, and you're always telling the truth and you're always willing to have that discussion with them afterwards about what was going on, I find that that's just the best way to continually get good information from people. You're a little bit more radio-centered now, but as we mentioned, there's been a lot of television and studio work thrown into the mix as well, and I know that also included a half-hour show when you moved to Comcast on the East Coast for a couple years as well. What would you say is more difficult, putting together that television show, even though it might only be a half hour or an hour, or doing a radio show? Well, it's very different. You know, on a radio show, you pretty much have you and your producer, and you guys talk about what you want to talk about and where you want to go. And, you know, when you're hosting a radio show, you're pretty much the content. Your producers have worked hard with you. You know, producer or producers, a lot of times, is just one producer. You guys have worked hard together, and they've helped you to accumulate information. You've bounced ideas off of them, and maybe you've talked about where you want to go or what you want to say, and, and you plan things out. Uh, but it's pretty much just the two of you, and, and you're, you're responsible for that content. You know, in television, so much goes into it. You have a video element. You have a graphics element. You have a timing element. You know, 30 minutes, you've got to be really careful and, and, and precise about what you want to say and how you want to say it because you don't have a lot of time and you want to back it up with the video. You want to back it up with the graphics. So that's really work intensive. You have to get together with the producer of that show uh, with the graphic artist, you have to get together with the technical director of the show, the person that's going to be, you know, moving all the the shots from this shot to this shot and telling people when to bring up the chi- the Chiron or the graphics and things of that nature. you got probably two or three camera people that have to know what's going on. You might have a prompter operator who's making sure that what you prepared, the copy you prepared, is in the right place at the right time so that everybody's on the same page. So it's just a much bigger collaborative team effort on TV that has to be really precise because you've only got a short period of time. And especially if you're doing daily TV shows, which I've done in the past too, where you've only got maybe three and a half minutes, three to three and a half minutes to give your entire sportscast, it's really got to be quick. It's got to be like headlines. Uh, You might have eight, nine, ten pieces of video in three minutes, along with 10 or 12 graphics. It takes a lot of teamwork and a lot of just everybody being on the same page at the same time and knowing exactly what's coming next. So those are the those are the biggest differences, more the how you prepare than anything else. On the radio side, how long did it take you to find your voice and develop the confidence needed to be successful behind the microphone, especially while doing many of your shows solo? I think it's something that evolves all the time. I, I think I'm probably a different radio guy in some ways. I think I'm still who I am fundamentally. But I think you get better at realizing what works, what doesn't work. I think the biggest thing in radio is just be yourself. I mean, that's the only thing that's going to differentiate you. 
I'm not a crazy, wild, screaming guy. And I think it would come off as incredibly fake if I tried to do that. What I am is somebody who has been intricately linked to sports my entire life. I've played it all through college. I've covered it. You know, I've covered the professionals since I was, you know, in my late teens. Uh, I've I've traveled with teams doing play-by-play for entire seasons. So I've lived with them. I've traveled with them. I've been to their practices for years and years and years. And I think having been that close to it and been on the inside of it for my entire life just gives me a different perspective and a different knowledge base than I think most other guys have, which is not to say there aren't other incredibly talented people that also have some of those same talents and traits. But my strength is not to be outrageous. My strength is to give a really well-informed, strong opinion. And when I believe something or say something, I like to think that I have years and years and years of experience that has led me to that feeling. A lot of that experience came within local radio, which has its challenges in that you're expected to know the local teams like the back of your hand. But national radio, which you dabble in now, almost has the same challenges and that fans still expect you to know their teams like the back of their hand, regardless if they're in Georgia and you might be doing a show in Indianapolis. But did working with the local teams of larger sports markets, especially for as long as you were able to do, help prepare you in moving to the national side of things? Absolutely. You know, you mentioned it a little while ago. When I was in Denver, I had the opportunity to be the beat reporter for the Broncos and the Rockies during their specific seasons. But most of the time during the weeknights, I was the pre-game, halftime, and post-game studio host for the Nuggets and Avalanche, who were owned by the same uh, person at that point in time. And so I, I think having to daily prepare for each of those teams and know what was going on in each league as part of my job got me to the point where I could work at a place like Sirius, and now I'm able to work on the NBA channel or work on the NFL channel because I've spent years inside those locker rooms for each individual sport in the NBA, in Major League Baseball, in the NFL. And that's given me the platform, as I've kept up with all of those sports over the years, to be able to do all those things on Sirius. And and I think that's probably my biggest value to Sirius is that they have a guy that they can plug in just about anywhere when they need it. It's not uncommon in this business to have to travel, to have to move jobs, to have to uproot yourselves at some point for the next best opportunity. And that takes a lot, not only for yourself, but for your family as well. And I know that's obviously decisions that have had to be made throughout the years with your wife and now with having children, that there might be opportunities that come up that you have to have major decisions about whether or not it's worth taking those risks. Maybe in the early going or even now, times that you had doubts about you were doing or maybe thought that broadcasting might not be the right path for you? No. <laughs> really, I can honestly tell you that the answer is no. I, Like I said, I was either going to be a professional athlete and I wasn't big enough and fast enough to do it in football. Um, I probably didn't have a consistent enough outside jumper to do it in basketball. I did race bicycles and have continued to for most of my adult life. I think I'd have been really good at that. And I think if I have started when I was like 14 or 15, as opposed to 21 or 22, I might've been able to do something with that because I've always been able to hang with guys that have done a professional. I don't know how good I'd be, but I think I could hang with them. 
But really for me, it became clear as I got older that if I was going to have real success at something, this was what it was going to be. And there was never a doubt in my mind that that's what it would be. So I know that you were able to get some sort of a start with ESPN radio to circle back a little bit, going back to, I believe, around the early 2000s, because the station that you worked at in Utah was also affiliated with ESPN. And that helped get your foot in the door, especially when the 2002 Olympics came around, ending with, a couple years later, a job at Sporting News Radio Station, which had you around some pretty big names as well. Was that an opportunity where you may have felt like you had made it, if you will, in broadcasting? Or did it ever hit you that, wow, things are moving very quickly and I'm really starting to get up the ladder and and really make a name for myself in a way as well? You know, it's funny because when I look back at it, first of all, I got to thank Matt Nahigian and Ryan Williams for taking a chance on me out of Salt Lake City. I had gotten to know some of these guys when I was in Salt Lake City uh, because I was also the sports format general for all of Citadel Communications, so I had a lot of communication for different stations and overall deals with Sporting News and ESPN. And I got to know some of the people at Sporting News. It was it was smaller than ESPN in terms of staff, and so I would deal with Ryan and Matt directly. They were familiar with what I had done and the things that I could do. And when that that midday slot became available we started talking and it just kind of worked out that they took a chance on me, which was really amazing at the time. Um, and I can't thank those two guys forever enough to put me in between James Brown on one side and Tim Brando on the other side. And I think there was a month or two when I first got there, I was like, Oh my God, Holy crap. What, what am I doing? Like the first time the like the sporting news advertising for sporting news radio came out and there's my picture next to those guys. And, Guys like Bruce Murray and and um, you know Bob Berger, who I respected and listened to for so long, it was just amazing for me to be on that radio station. I guess if I could say anything to Matt and Ryan, I wish I wish then I wish now that I was the broadcaster I am today back then because I think I'm much more polished and much more. I, I think I would do them much bigger favors today if I was in that spot now. I think I did a pretty good job. Um, that was a network that was always constantly evolving and changing, and when it started to change, I'd been there a couple of years, Sportscasters Talent Agency of America had had a uh, seminar in Chicago, which is where I was living at the time, and I was asked to be a speaker there, which was really nice of them. I, I appreciate that, too. Bruce Gilbert, who was running ESPN Radio, was also speaking at that seminar. And Bruce and I started talking, and we got to know each other a little bit. And a couple of weeks later, uh, I know my Sporting News contract was coming up. Sporting News didn't know what they were going to do, if they were going to move, if they were going to shut down, get new sponsors. They were going through some changes. They had told me, hey, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You might be here, you might not. And I had said, well, I better start looking for a job just in case. And so with about 90 days left on that contract, I just out of the blue emailed Bruce Gilbert, and I said, Hey, you guys are probably full, but I enjoyed meeting you. Keep me in mind if you ever have any openings in the future. I'd love to be a part of what you're doing. He emails me back within 30 minutes. And he's like, hey, we've been looking for an evening guy on game night. Would you be interested in something like that? And it wasn't a job offer. It was just like, hey, would you even be interested in moving here? And I said, yeah, I'd move to Bristol. No problem. So I got in touch with Justin 
Craig, who's the program director there now, and Justin flew me out there. We did an interview. Um, that night, I did a show with Doug Gottlieb. I think it went pretty well. Doug and I had really good chemistry. I was lucky because Doug and I just hit it off immediately. Uh, we did a show. They had been looking for someone to, to fill that hole for a year and a half. And they'd had literally, I'm not making this up, Justin told me once they literally had like 70 guys in there. For whatever reason, they liked the chemistry that Doug and I had. I know some of the guys that didn't get that job are certainly really talented and probably doing better than me in some places right now. But for whatever reason, Doug and I had chemistry. Freddie Coleman and I had chemistry. And they hired me, and I've been doing shows for them ever since then. And, you know, so much of life is being prepared. You know, that old saying about, you know, opportunity is when preparation, or, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So true. Uh, I would always work hard. I was always prepared. You know, I loved doing what I did. I liked working 10, 12, 14 hours a day. It wasn't work for me. I loved it. I couldn't wait up to get up the next morning and do it again. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. But I was ready when that opportunity came. You know, I talked earlier about every step of the way. I always felt like I was ready. So, you know, when sporting news happened and there was an opportunity, I was ready. When ESPN happened, I was ready. And I can't, again, thank people like Justin Craig and Bruce Gilbert and Ryan Williams and, and Matt Mahigan, guys that believed in me. And without those guys, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today. And I've had this incredible, blessed career because of those guys. And, you know, I, I remember that all the time. And it makes me want to work just as hard today as I did 15, 20 years ago to prove to everybody that took a chance on me that they made a good decision. You've been behind a microphone on ESPN radio for basically every hour of the day at different <laughs> points, filling in not only local shows, but every major radio show that's offered on the channel. Anyone that someone can throw out, you've probably helped fill in or have been a part of at some point. Are there nerves when you're thrown into a situation like that, or was it because of the point that you were at your career that it didn't necessarily hit you or, or have the nervousness that, say, you're filling in for Mike and Mike in the morning or another show that you might be an avid listener to as a fan? Was it something that was a little bit more easier for you at that stage? I think the last time I was really, really nervous about going on the air was when I first started at KKFN in Denver in 1995. I was pretty young, and I had four hours to fill every night. And my first summer there, I was going up against the Colorado Rockies who were on KOA, and I just had to fill content for four hours locally in Denver every single night. And, you know, I, I think that's the last time that summer, I think that first summer that I was really nervous where – Every morning I would wake up like, oh my God, I got to make, you know, not just do four hours, but I got to be interesting for four hours. I got to be excited and have energy and be interesting and do fun things for four hours every single night, five nights a week. And I think once I realized over time the things that worked, the things that didn't work, the things that, that would help me, the things that didn't, you know, you become less and less nervous because you know it's like driving a car there's a point where you get in that car and you know what to do with that car. I would imagine it's like this. I don't fly airplanes, but I have some friends and family that do. I would imagine it's the same thing. I don't think they get nervous when they go up in the air anymore because they know what to do. They know how to handle that airplane. And I guess that's kind of how I feel now. I'm anxious and excited to work on shows. Like I can't wait to get to them and things of that nature. 
Uh, I want to make sure they go well, and I want to make sure I'm doing my best so I get anxious from that perspective. But it's like playing a game, too. The the second that, that microphone goes on, you just do what you do, and you kind of forget about the nerves. We can also add Sirius XM to that list as well, and you're heard filling in on Mad Dog Sports Radio. You're on their college channel, Fantasy Football, NBA, and MLB, among others as well. The day-to-day topics obviously change, especially when you're at Sirius and on sports-specific channels, but do you also change your delivery depending on what channel or what show you're on based on the audience that that show already has, or are you always, in a sense, yourself when you're filling in for these shows and doing what you do on either platform? I look at it like driving a race car, like an Indy car. You know, you take an Indy car to an oval track, and there's a certain way you have to drive it. You're still the same driver. You're still the same machine. But the race is going to be completely different on an oval track, like the Indianapolis 500 at the Speedway, as it would be on a road course. Same thing, and I'm, I'm not a huge race car guy but i'm just it's the analogy that i make same driver same car different track you have to adjust to that track so i think you're still the same person you still do the things that you do but you also have to have respect for where you are what the track is and who you're working with if i'm doing a studio show that's really supposed to be about information and a little bit of fun the tone is going to be different from a mad dog sports radio show on, on a sunday afternoon where it's just you and i talking about sports it's just a different track. So I, I hope that makes sense, but that's the best way I could explain it. I'm not going to ask you to pick favorites, obviously, but I know when you have the opportunity to be on Sirius XM, because it is satellite, there's more opportunity to also interact with more callers, maybe not have to deal with as much advertising or commercials as well. So you're able to change how you do a show in general. And from listening to you on that channel, I know you do enjoy some callers and like to have fun throughout the show, and it's just a different element that you're able to get on satellite. Has that helped you, or do you enjoy that now at this stage of your career where it was almost like not learning something new for the first time, but you were able to experience something a little bit different when it comes to radio and now interact a little bit more with fans in a way and just be able to have a different mindset for that show each day? Yeah, you know, when I do the Mad Dog show on the Saturday and Sunday afternoons that we've been talking about, that's just me and you and fans hanging out, and we can agree, we can argue, but I I like to think that it's literally just, if we were sitting at a game, and we saw a play, and you said, oh, he was out, and I'm like, what are you talking about? He was safe. I like that, that we can still be friends, and we could argue to no end, and I just want it to be a conversation like that, as opposed to... Maybe in an NFL show with Pat Kerwin, callers are calling up. They really want to know about their teams and what kind of insight we can give them. Do we like the pickups that they made? Um, and, and by the way, Pat Kerwin is one of my favorite people to ever work with because I don't care what anybody says. I've worked with and known a lot of people in the National Football League. There isn't anybody, anybody, maybe Gil Brandt, but there isn't anybody who knows more about the National Football League, how it works and why guys are good and why they succeed and why they fail than Pat Kerwin. Uh, but the point being is when you're working on NBA or NFL, we're still having that conversation, but people are looking more for us to be the experts in that field. They're looking for our insights into their team. They might disagree with us, but they're looking to see what we think as guys who've been around the game our entire lives. Where Mad Dog is, I, it's literally, it's almost like I'm not at work. 
you and I are just hanging out at the game together, and we're just having a conversation as we would have if you and I just got tickets and, and showed up. You mentioned how you've been able to evolve throughout all of this, and that comes from all different sorts of places that you've had to work at and different people that you've come across. Being able to surround yourself around professional athletes, was that more important to your growth, or was it also being surrounded by other well-established broadcasters throughout the different stations you've been able to work at? I think it goes back to something we talked about a little while ago where I, I just feel like, look, I, I, was, I was 25, 30 years old too, full of piss and vinegar, and I had a really good foundation of knowledge and a base of knowledge, and I, I had a pretty good idea of what I thought and why I thought that. But I think it's just been so much more cemented you know, I'm still really not that old, even though I've been doing this job for about 30 years. I feel like I still have legitimately 20, 25 years to go before I can even think about retirement. Um, but I just feel like I've seen so many seasons and I've traveled with so many teams and seen how so many different coaches approach things, how players approach things. I've talked to so many really intelligent people over the years gotten their takes on why things work or why they don't work or why a general manager might be doing this or why a coach might be making that decision. I just feel like that three decades of experience has given me an intuition that I didn't have when I was you know, 25, 30 years old. I might have been right about something, but if I'm right now, I'm really pretty sure about why I would be right. Again, part of the great thing about sports is some things there is no right and wrong, right? Some things are just our opinions which is fine, and that's why I go back to I just feel like the opinions that I have now are really well grounded in a lot of information that I've just been able to accumulate and then add the information of the day into that mix, kind of plug it into a little computer generator and go, oh, this is probably what's going on here. You did a lot of play-by-play work as well when you were a little bit more younger in the business, working with semi-college teams, college teams, stuff along those lines. And I know that's something that you also enjoy. Is that an avenue that you might like to pursue as what people would call your next step or the next big thing? Or if it was offered, you wouldn't turn it down to to be able to broadcast at a national level, something that you've yet to be able to do. Look, I've always, all I ever wanted to be was a play-by-play broadcaster. And, you know, up until really the, the line of demarcation for me was probably when I got the sporting news job. I had always done well over 100 events a year for everything. Basketball, college football, college basketball. Did WNBA for four seasons when I was working with the Jazz. That was what I was doing in the summertime. I would do the, the uh, studio hosting in the winter, and then in the summer I would do the, the WNBA all I ever wanted to be was a play-by-play guy. And that's still what I consider myself at the end of the day. Uh, once I got the call, though, to go to Sporting News, you know, I had to kind of shift directions. Like, I don't care how good I was at play-by-play or how close I was to get some jobs. And the only thing I can tell you is without naming specific teams is I've been a finalist down to the last two or three for a couple of Major League Baseball and NBA teams in the past. And it's something that I think I could do well. Um, but as it happened, once I got that sporting news job, you know, I devoted everything I had to sports talk radio because I was making decent money. I wasn't getting rich. I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have a Colin Coward deal or anything like that. But I was making decent money, and I was doing something that I loved to do, and the opportunity was amazing. And then that led to the ESPN thing. So as it turns out, the talk radio has kind of been where my career has gone. 
But deep in my heart, if I could have a chance to be a full-time play-by-play guy for an NBA team, an NFL team, or Major League Baseball team, I'd be gone. That would be it. That's what I would do for the rest of my life. But I'm having a pretty good time doing what I'm doing, and I still make a really nice living, so I'm probably not going to walk away from that either. Unfortunately, my days of being a college student are getting farther and farther away from me. <laughs> but I know a lot Mine of... Mine too! <laughs> isn't that what happens? I know a lot of students or younger broadcasters or journalists or people that want to pursue this field often reach out to you for advice. And I wouldn't have you on my show if you weren't kind enough to reach back to those types of people. Is there a specific anecdote that you would offer a a young broadcaster or journalist or someone that wants to get into this industry about how they can just keep up with that grind, get their foot in the door at different places, and really continue to pursue this as their career or their true passion? Be present. And when I say be present, I'll tell a story when I was – well, I was still in my 20s. I was working in Tri-Cities, Washington. I was the play-by-play voice of the Tri-City Chinook CBA team, and I was also the program director for what at the time was a mostly all-sports radio station. We, we were broadcasting sports for about oh, 18 of the 24 hours a day, and we were filling in a few other things because it was fairly young in the format. And there, there wasn't ESPN wasn't even, in the, in the uh, 90s, ESPN wasn't even, fully 24 hours yet. So they were offering programs in the evenings on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the sports babe was the one thing that they offered Monday through Friday in the middle of the day. Other than that, they didn't have a 24-hour schedule. So we would try to piece together everything we could with a local show here and some play-by-play rights and things of that nature. And all I ever thought about was, man, I want to I want to either get home to Denver or I, I got to get that next big market thing. I got to get to a big market. Got to get to a big market. And I thought about it. I was almost obsessed with it. But, you know, something funny happened. There was about a six-month period where I got so busy between the play-by-play with the the CBA team and so busy starting up and running that sports radio station that I just focused on that. That's all I worried about was my daily talk show, my play-by-play gigs, and making sure that station ran well. And wouldn't you know it, John, when that's all I focused on, that's when the opportunities started to present themselves because I was doing real work. I wasn't working to get to the next level. I was working on what I was doing now, which made that better. And then, as I said, when the opportunity arose, I was prepared to offer something at that point in time to somebody who'd be looking for what's next. And, And so I would say, always have your eye on the future, always, you know, network and continue to do those things, but don't abandon what's going to get you there. And that's being present, making whatever you're doing the best that it can be right now, because that's ultimately what people are going to notice. The last thing for you, you mentioned that you sometimes work from home in your makeshift studio while doing shows. And I've heard... I would say the majority of my shows come from Studio J. Well, the majority of my shows come from my childhood bedroom, so I'd like to uh, be able to use your studio once in a while if I can get a plane ticket or something along those lines, because (laughs) I've heard rumblings that you have what I guess sports broadcasters would call a, a sports broadcasting or sports media cave 
about five televisions, a couple computers as well. Do you have an open door policy for football season? Maybe we could sneak in and watch games with you or what? <laughs> if I'm not working and as long as the Broncos aren't playing an incredibly huge game, that's the one place I still like to be a fan. Uh, that was the team I grew up with. That's the team my dad, my brother, and I went to the old Mile High Stadium my entire life growing up. Um, I know, you know, this sounds, this is going to sound probably wrong to a lot of people who still cover the team. But outside of guys like Mike Kliss or Woody Page, I know there's a guy that I like a lot now named Drew Mason who covers the Broncos. Outside of the guys that have been there every single day the whole time, I would put myself on a short list of maybe a dozen guys. There's probably Sandy Clough, who's a broadcaster in Denver, that does know a little bit more than me. But I would put myself on a short list of maybe a dozen guys who have a deeper understanding and knowledge of Broncos history than I do. That's just my team. When I was growing up, I couldn't get enough of it. To this day, every day my day starts with Broncos news. What are they doing? How are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Things of those nature. It's the one team that I'm a fan of. And I'm open about that on the air because I think if you're going to be that way, you got to be open about that. Uh, and so I enjoy that. So if the Broncos are playing in a playoff game or a game that they have to win, my, my open-door policy is anytime I'm anywhere, unless the Broncos are playing a big game, then it's just me and my sons, and I just want to be left alone. <laughs> this show really was all just a starter or a resume builder to maybe get you back on during the football season to talk Denver Broncos football, and then we could just swoon about them at a certain point during the season. So I'm with you on that step. There you go. I mean, I, like I said, that's the one true fan part of me that I still have. And, and I would say that when I was working in Denver, the Broncos won two Super Bowls, and I don't think that I could. I don't think I was able to properly enjoy those first two Super Bowl wins because I was covering the team, and I kind of had to put emotional distance between myself and the team. And so, in some ways, that was kind of hard. <laughs> so we can thank Peyton Manning and crew a couple years back to at least yes, get you one Von that you're Miller. able to enjoy. Von Miller is my man. Fingers crossed for a semi-successful season this year as they continue to uh, build in the post-Manning era now that we've uh, come into that stage of being Broncos fans. Is the easiest place for people to find you by following you on Twitter, or can you offer some maybe days when you're usually on radio or some different times they might be able to hear you on the dial? Um, you know, I'm kind of all over on Sirius, which is the way I like it. I'm also the executive producer at a sports radio station downtown in Indianapolis. And so those two things work really well hand in hand. I'm able to do anywhere from four to six or seven shows a week on Sirius, and I can build it around the, the schedule that I do have in downtown Indianapolis. So that's been pretty good. Lately, um, for the last year or so, I've been doing afternoons on the weekends pretty regularly at Mad Dog Sports Radio. And um, you'll just, you'll literally probably hear me at least once a week on one of four or five different stations on Sirius XM. And, you know, throughout the year on ESPN radio, especially in the evenings when guys are on vacation, I'm usually one of the two or three first guys that they call. So you can hear me there as well. But yeah, Twitter is probably the best way to, to find it at uh, Rickard on sports, R-I-C-K-A-R-D on sports. But like I said, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I enjoy the variety. That's kind of what keeps me going. I like doing all the different things and I like the fact that, uh, you know, before we started doing this on the air, we talked about the fact that my schedule was different every day, and I don't know what my day is going to bring. And it might sound chaotic to some people, but it makes sense for me. I've got a studio in my house, so I can do a lot of things very easily from home, as well as doing them downtown in Indianapolis. And so, 
for me personally, it it works. Makes a lot of sense. I like it. I, I get to be on the radio, like I said, almost if not more full time between ESPN and Sirius XM, doing what I do in Indianapolis, and I'm happy. So I, I really couldn't ask for anything more. Jeff, thanks so much for taking some time today to peel back the curtain on some of the different things you've done. It's always a pleasure flipping through the dial on Sirius and finding you on a weekend or throughout the day, all the different channels that you're able to be a part of. And it was great hearing how you got to where you are today. I know it's becoming a longer and longer story to tell, but I do appreciate getting to dig into it a little bit with you and getting to know about what you're up to. Continued success with all of that, especially if that one day leads to maybe getting to do a World Series someday from behind the microphone as a play-by-play guy. Relax on the bike, too. Take it easy. I know there was an injury a couple weeks back. Take it easy on the recovery. About about two months ago, I, uh, you know, 31 years I've been racing and riding my bike. I still try to go out on the weeknights and do training races with the guys that are actually racing now just to kind of keep my fitness and see if I can still hang with them towards the back of their pack or whatever. And, um, First time in 31 years, I had a really nasty crash. I completely separated my shoulder, broke my collarbone, messed up my AC joint. So I kind of had a couple of operations all at once. But that was uh, the very end of April. And I'm happy to report that just this week, I'm back on my bike and I'm out riding the farm roads again around uh, the outskirts of Indianapolis. So there you go. Excellent. There's nothing like getting injuries that you think you probably would have gotten while playing collegiate football, but end up <laughs> right? getting it doing a hobby that you right? like. <laughs> Isn't that how it always goes? That's how it works. You know, I was probably, I was probably uh, comfortable enough to think, oh, I've been doing this my whole life. It's not going to happen to me. You know, and I guess it did finally. So I'm, I'm just happy that I didn't uh, suffer any kind of a head or brain injury or crippling thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to be okay in a few months. So it'll be all right. As we mentioned throughout this, there's always something to keep you on your toes, whether it's in the sports media business in general or family life or life in general. So thanks for taking a pause from that. One other thing I just want to point in before I close, if you got some time, you you mentioned family, and I've got two boys, seven and nine years old right now, and I've been married for for, uh, coming up on um, 13 years. One of the things I'm kind of glad that I, for me personally, waited to have my family until I had done a lot of these things and gotten it under my belt. I don't know if it had been as smooth, but I like to think it would have been. But man, at the end of the day, no matter how much you love your job, your family always comes first. And there is as much as I love this job and have done it my whole life and can't imagine doing anything else, I'd rather have my, my kids than anything else. And I just hope people, as they grow through their careers, understand that at the end of the day, that's what's important. At the end of the day, that's really what matters. And it can't hurt as well that when your show is done, oftentimes you're probably just going up the steps, and there they are. There's no drive home. There, there's no I'm time not, in the office. They're right there for you. I'm not going to lie. There are times when one or both of us will first open the door while I'm on the air. They'll look at me, realize that I'm on the air, and they have this look on their face like, oh, man, we got to wait. <laughs> that was going to be my follow-up. Have you put a padlock on the door for the show? Because you never no, know. No. They, they're 79. They know what's up, so. They'll open the door cautiously. They'll see if I'm working. And if I am, they can either get frustrated or I'll say, uh, give me five minutes or whatever. And then I'll go out and talk to them during a break or something. So it works out okay. Well, thanks again for putting all that on pause. Like I said, we could definitely spend another show talking about Denver Broncos football in the future, but just in general, talking about radio, I'm sure was a little bit of a break for you and enjoyable for me. So continued success with everything. Thanks again for coming on and looking forward to continuing to hear you in the future. 
I'll see you on Twitter. Thanks. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night. And please also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find episodes of The Bridge on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America on Wednesday nights. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll chat about the chaos in the NBA, dive into some more baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.